everyone has that journey that they go through and anything's, everything's possible. But sometimes like pushing yourself to experience something new or learn a new skill is all you need to push past the fact that you don't just have to be you know, what your job title is. And I remember like so early in my career, I really wanted to succeed so quickly and I just wasn't ready. You know, even when I was 21, I wanted to be the best, but I just wasn't ready. And I remember- Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfillment along the way. Welcome to September, lovely neighborhood. You made it through winter. I hope you're excited to come out of hibernation. And I can't think of a better story to help you spring into spring than this one. Today's guest epitomizes the idea of seizing your yay, having walked away from a booming career in journalism, not only to take a new direction, but to literally quit her job altogether, buy a boat, learn to sail that boat, and then travel around the world on it. Yep, Christina Castile and her pilot partner, John Tilly, packed up their lives in 2021 after Melbourne's third lockdown, used their savings to buy a yacht, learned to sail it with no prior sailing experience, and took the actual plunge to take it around the world. You might recognise Christina from her extensive career as a news reporter covering some incredible stories across states, across the nation and across networks, but may not have realised the extent of her sea change since then. You know, I'm a huge fan of people trying out new things that they've never tried before and making big, scary leaps in their life, so I adored picking her brains about this epic journey. Perhaps your new season might not bring about a change quite this big, but hopefully it sparks something within you to go after that thing you You've been dreaming about. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Christina, welcome to Seize the Yay. Hey, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> oh, it is such a pleasure. And you were just saying offline how you listen to the show and you listen to the jingle. And it's always so special having someone on the show who actually listens. A hundred percent. I love listening to your podcast and it's an absolute pleasure to be on here with you. And I love your jingle. It rings so <laughs> true to me. Every time I hear it, it's like... I don't know. I just feel a sense of joy. So I think it's so creative of you and I hope that it resonates with everyone who listens like it does with me. (laughs) Oh, you're so lovely. And I feel like your story is going to do the same. This is just such a beautiful full circle because you have such an epitome of CZA. Like your story is just, it embodies everything that the CZA philosophy is about. So I, I can't wait to get into it. But as you will know, we start every episode with a little icebreaker, which is just to ask everyone <laughs> what the most down to earth thing is about them, which I'm sure will come out in the story also. But 
I mean, if anyone does know you from your previous chapter in the news, it can be very glossy on the outside and they often see a very polished version of you. So what's something that's just really normal and relatable? Absolutely. Well, they're seeing a very polished version of me now if they're watching it because I'm wearing (laughs) makeup and that's something that I really don't do much of these days. I was saying to you earlier, this is like the second time this month that I've actually put on proper makeup because it's very rare. I'm so (laughs) honoured. And it's funny, you know, I asked my boyfriend, John, because I found it really difficult to think about, you know, what is it that's down to earth about me? And I have to say his answer was the fact that I op shop and I have op shopped <gasps> for years. Yeah. So it's really funny. I went through my wardrobe after he said that to me and literally I think 50%, maybe more of my wardrobe is from an op shop. And the other 50% was probably paid for by my wardrobe allowance at my previous network, my uh, <gasps> stations that I worked at because, yeah, I just, I'm... I think I'm a bit of a minimalist and I also love a good find and sometimes I just can't justify spending so much money (laughs) on an outfit. Yeah. I just love so much that I think one of the funnest things is when people ask their partners or their close friends or their loved ones that question, like when they can't answer it themselves, it's always interesting to see what other people think is the most relatable thing about you. But I also think particularly given that you did have a career in the news, which, you know, you're always in such beautiful outfits. They're always so polished and and just glamorous, like glorious, that it's so cool that it's like 50% of your wardrobe. I think like fast fashion is becoming less and less something that people buy into. People are looking for more sustainable fashion, I think. And it's yeah, it's outfit repeating is so trendy now. Like yeah. I think it's amazing. I would wear like a Scanlon Theodore jacket with like an op shop skirt. <laughs> <laughs> but that's creative. That's amazing. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's great fun. I love it. I love op shopping. Like seriously, the jumper that I wear, I have more comments on this one Um, It's like a big, oversized, big cowl neck kind of. It's the only thing I wear when the weather's cold. It's from Seed and it was $20 at a market and I have worn it. I would say like cost per wear would be like in that, like I've made money off that (laughs) jumper. I love that. I love that. It's so good. It's funny, you know, though, because there are so many people out there who just aren't into it. Like I've purchased items and bought them home for John and he's just like, no way. John is anti-shopping. He just doesn't, he just feels like, you know, but that's cool. Yeah. Their own, like, you know. Yeah. Well, I love that you're totally into it. And I feel like once you get into op shopping and you realize like the good ones, the ones that have really cool finds and then the challenge of like hunting down a diamond in the rough, it's really exciting. Absolutely. It's so much fun. So if you haven't done it before, you should definitely get amongst it. Yeah. I mean, we could do a whole episode on that. That's fascinating in itself. (laughs) The best finds from op shops around Australia. Literally, that's a whole different segment that you could do. You could add that to Christina's travels. <laughs> Christina's like shopping picks. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you say that because one of our upcoming episodes, I actually go op shopping with my mum in Cairns. I wasn't going to there include it, but maybe I should. We filmed it. so. Oh, you totally should. <laughs> oh, okay, so to give everyone else some context, I feel like we need to lead up to why you were filming and what you were filming and how it all came together. So as you also know, having listened to the 
the show a couple of times. I always love to start at the very beginning. I think everyone's pathier starts many chapters and many years before the chapter that we often walk in on when we meet you. And I think there's so much that's instructive about what you were like as a child and what things you did before you were influenced by the shoulds or expectations or success. So, what were you like as a kid? For sure. Queensland gal? Like, what was your childhood like? Oh, well, actually, I was from Adelaide. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'm an Adelaide girl and I had no idea what I wanted to do growing up at all. Zero. I did a lot of performing arts and then actually... I always told my mum though from the age of like 13 that I was going to leave home as soon as possible. As soon as I had finished school, I was out. And it was funny because I met John, my boyfriend, when I was 16. And I always knew that I wanted to go to the Gold Coast. It was just something that I had dreamt about since I was a little girl. And so in year 12, we went over to the Gold Coast and he said, you know what, I'll move here with you. Let's do it. Wow. So I was 17 and he was, you know, 18 or something like that when we moved to the Gold Coast. And I actually went into business, believe it or not, and I did six months of business at Griffith University. Oh. I know. So I'm throwing so many spanners in the works here. I know. I had no idea what I wanted to do, Sarah. Like I literally... I was a 15-year-old going to those free business seminars in Adelaide surrounded by 50-year-old men in suits, <laughs> thinking that I wanted to trade and, yeah. you know, invest in real estate. And then I got to the Gold Coast and I studied business with John. We moved into a little apartment together. And wow, it was tough, but it was really inspiring looking back at what we did at such a young age with zero help really from our parents. And I absolutely hated every minute of statistics. Oh my God. <laughs> and I actually failed one of the subjects. I failed statistics. Wow. And I was like, I don't know if this is for me. I just, I just wasn't, I went back to my roots of of acting and dancing and singing. And that's what I was really passionate about. And so I took six months off and John and I, you know, were pretty young and we had like a little couple of week break there for a minute and trying to find ourselves. And, and I did a little radio school actually on the Gold Coast. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to present, I want to report, I want to be part of this, you know, creative world. And so I did this little radio school at a place called Radio Metro on the Gold Coast. It was a community radio station. And that's when I enrolled into Bond University. That's when I, my wow. whole sort of career sort of fell into place actually, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So already this is so fascinating. Usually my research is pretty good, but I missed <laughs> the whole Adelaide thing. But I think that it's it's really interesting that even – when you had no idea where you wanted to go or what you wanted to do, you and John obviously have this like thirst for adventure and the ability to start afresh. Like I feel like a lot of people shy away from any kind of like new beginning or throwing yourself in that level of like just being so out of your depth, a totally new state at such a young age, but without a mm. plan, like, and then to even take six months off, like already you're sort of showing your ability to, to tolerate and to be resilient through like totally having no clue what you're doing. And I love that. 
that's how you figure out what you want to do. Yeah, it was crazy. It was we, we moved over there with nowhere to live. We literally had, you know, a ton of resumes in our hands on our first day. We walked down Cavill Avenue just handing out resumes. <gasps> that was our first couple of days together. Yeah, it was crazy looking back. We were in like a little studio together. I mean, there wasn't even a separate dining room <laughs> or all that. Our bedroom was part of the lounge and the lounge had a fold-out couch and our two desks for university was in the same little square. You know what? Our apartment was probably the size of this room. Wow. Yeah. <gasps> that, I mean, so <laughs> that's probably why we needed the two-week break. Yeah. <laughs> From each other. (laughs) But, I mean, that's just so cool that already before you started your first career, you had just this, yeah, appetite for trying different things and and for trying them from scratch. And I think often when you see particularly people who are in the news or – you know, in the media at that kind of high level, you often assume that they started at five wanting to be a journal and they studied journalism. And I love that even in a career you've since made another jump from, you know, you didn't do it the conventional way. I think that's really interesting. No. Yeah. I honestly, even while I was at uni, I still was like, oh, should I do film and TV or should I do reporting? Or I just, it literally all just fell into place. Wow. I had no idea what kind of reporter I wanted to be. I was doing work experience at the newspaper, the Gold Coast Bulletin and and the radio stations. And yeah, wow. there you go. So BCOM at Bond and then looking at the timeline, it looks like you were at Radio Metro and Channel 9 before you graduated. So was that all just experimental, like feeling out the industry and and also doing commerce on the side like at that point what did you kind of think it was going to translate into as a career yeah absolutely look if there are any young people out there who are at uni I cannot recommend work experience enough Mm. I did every work experience possible under the sun at university I did as I said the Gold Coast Bulletin Channel 9 I worked there for six months straight, one day a week during university and, and working as well, like pretty much part-time casual and full-time uni. I also did three months at channel seven at the same sort of time as well while I was at uni. And that was incredible experience because I think that's what scored me my first job. And that was at Channel 9 in Darwin of all places. So John was becoming a pilot. He was learning how to fly while I was at university. And so he had gone, sorry, babe, I have to go out and get my first job. So he went over to a remote location in the Northern Territory. So we did long distance for a year while I was still at university by myself on the Gold Coast. (laughs) And I know it was wild. I know we had that one year and yeah. And so I was doing all that work experience, keeping myself busy while he was over there in this remote Aboriginal community. And because I did that work experience, that honestly, I think that's what got me my first job. I was 20 and I, I got a call from Channel 9 up in Darwin and they said, look, would would love to hire you. And I said, look, my last exam is actually in two weeks. I haven't graduated yet. <gasps> And they're like, okay, well, when you graduate, just drive up and you've got a job. Wow. So, yeah, so John flew down and he helped me drive. Like I finished my exam. 
I ran out of the exam and like we got into the car, it was packed and we drove for three days straight to Darwin and I started on the Monday. So I think my advice to like anyone listening, if you're at uni, that work experience, I think that's definitely what got me that job because I, I, I was able to show them a show reel. Yeah. So when I was at Channel 7 and 9 on the Gold Coast, they allowed me to have like a little sample of my work and I think, yeah, that was priceless. Oh, my goodness. And so you were saying like it started to fall together. A career you hadn't even realised you wanted then started to fall together and also without necessarily the sort of conventional journalist or journalism studies path that a lot of people take. So that first role in Darwin, how did things take off from there? Because then you went on to have this like illustrious like seven-year career. How did it fall into place? I'm sure it like fell into place, but also you kind of made it fall into place with a lot of hard work and strategy. Yeah, a hundred percent. It was like, to be honest, at the start, it was really tough. I was really badly bullied. So it was extremely difficult for me, like plenty of tears. I remember my first two, three days, I was so nervous that I like puked before going to work. (laughs) I had so much anxiety. Like I remember at the front of our house, like opening the door and just being sick, you know, Uh, that's how much anxiety I had. And you'd never, ever really know how much that impacted me but it really did to the point where I you know like some days I was on the phone to my mom in tears going like what have I done but on the contrary like I had the most incredible experience reporting on some insane stories meeting some incredible people and I think it definitely all those experiences you know, were meant to happen and meant to play out the way that they were. I mean, I was 20. I was so young. I hadn't even found myself as a person. And, you know, even to this day, we're always, you know, growing and, and searching for who we really are and, and what we should give to this world. And But definitely as 20, I was so young and had never experienced bullying quite like that before. So it was tough in the early days. Yeah, it's tough anytime you go into not just a new job, but like your first job and then your first job with the self-doubt and anxiety and and all those kinds of, you know, imposter syndrome, all of that. But then on top of that, to have an actual workplace that is throwing other difficult hurdles at you. I can't even imagine how hard that time must have been for like 20-year-old little you. I know. I was the youngest in the room. I was a baby, you know, straight fresh out of uni. But, you know, it was great. I had a couple of years there in Darwin and then I was able to move to the Gold Coast. So I, I was able to spend two years there in Darwin with John. So that was fantastic. So he was out bush flying like crocodile eggs from remote locations Whoa. <laughs> and like mail runs. Like he has some inc- insane stories himself. But yeah, we then, I was able to move to the Gold Coast and then that's when, you know, some really exciting things happened over there. And then I was able to move up to Brisbane. Again, that was really tough in Brisbane. I was sort of bullied again. But then when I moved down to Melbourne later in my career, Wow. Yeah. Best experience I had ever had. It was phenomenal. I was able to regain my faith in the industry. I was appreciated and I will never, ever forget that incredible experience in Melbourne. It was brilliant. It was incredible. And I got to meet some really cool people. Everything happens in Melbourne as opposed to Brisbane. (laughs) You know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger just visited town and Robbie Williams and Tommy Hilfiger and, you know, next minute you're meeting the Royals and wow, it was phenomenal. I mean, I 
I definitely want to pick your brains more about the highlights of some of the coolest things and some of the hardest things you've done, like in the, you know, in the later years in your career. But for anyone listening who might be earlier on in their journey in a smaller industry, a smaller market, a smaller state or whatever it may be, or facing like a toxic work environment or bullying or, you know, any kind of big barrier to to really fulfilling like what felt amazing later on in your career you had to get through a lot of hurdles to get there how did you stay excited how did you stay driven to keep going with that career because I think some people would have taken that as a sign to do something else or you know been thrown completely away from that career path because because they were bullied like how do you kind of show up to work every day that's a great question I had a fantastic group of friends that supported me. And I, then I knew that I wasn't crazy. It wasn't me. (laughs) Yeah. And that was really great because they had my back. My mom was phenomenal. Whenever I needed to vent, I would call mom and she was my biggest supporter. So having someone in your corner was great. The emotional support from John was really, really wonderful too. He was just always there and he always told me that everything was going to be okay. Yeah. I knew that I could get past it for some reason. I mean, to be honest, When I was in Brisbane, just before I moved from Brisbane to Melbourne, I was about to end. That was it. I was about to end my career as a reporter. I was done and out. I was over the headaches. I was over the hassle because I really felt like in my heart, I was destined to to do the job that I was doing, but everything around me just wasn't working out. Mm. And I was just sort of sick of hitting my head against a brick wall. So I did almost get to that point, Sarah. But, you know, that wasn't my time. It wasn't meant to end just there. And I'm so grateful that that wasn't, that was the case because I honestly had such an incredible experience meeting people and telling their stories Mm. that because my journey ended in Melbourne on such a high, that's what I remember from, from my reporting days. And I will always be so grateful for that. And how I was treated down there was just absolutely amazing. Like I would have, you know, text messages from some of my work colleagues at the end of live crosses going, you smashed that out of the park. (gasps) Like a really sense of friendship and community. And like we were together working as a team. Mm. Uh, But yeah, you're right. Like in those tough times, I think it was my family and my friends that definitely got me through for sure. Yeah, amazing. I think one of the quotes I shared recently on the CZA page was just that idea that life often rewards you on your fifth, sixth, eighth, ninth and tenth tries. It's very rarely the first or second or third go you might have at something. And, you know, there are so many people who might give up just before the time that was going to be their one. Like if you had left before Melbourne, you would never have known that that was going to be what it turned out to be. So I think you know, the message there for anyone is if you're going through a, a shittier chapter, like hang in there, you know, you might have to try a couple of different workplaces or a couple of different chapters to get to the one that you can really flourish in. And I'm so glad you got to do that because obviously how many years did you do it in Melbourne? Was that the seven years? Uh, no, that was actually, I was down in Melbourne for around three years. So I think I was reporting for about 11 years altogether from 20 oh, wow. to 30, 31. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, another barrier that I know, because we spoke about this before we started recording, is even when you love your job and even when you've done it for, you know, by the time you got to Melbourne, what, like seven (laughs) years by then, you get really nervous, right? Like there's there's lots of things that make going to work hard, but when you're doing live crosses, like the self-doubt is high. I can imagine that the nerves are probably <laughs> not going to ever fade. And, and we often speak on CZA about 
self-doubt, imposter syndrome, nerves, and how you deal with the butterflies and how often we think we're failing if those butterflies never go away. But I really think that they're kind of a good sign as long as it doesn't go too far. So what was your journey? Some people hate public speaking and presenting and reporting. How did you get, like, what was your relationship with nerves during your time? Look, I'm so glad that when I first started reporting in Darwin that no one has the outtakes of me doing my first live cross because I'm pretty I sure wish they I had just it. liked it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I just looked blankly into the screen and was like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> I just freaked out. But I got, I, you know, I got through it. Even, you know, talking to you now, I still get clammy hands and I still get nervous. It's crazy really, but I was telling you at the start when we were off, off, <laughs> off um, recording... <laughs> <laughs> is about this thing called a beta blocker. And uh, it was very funny because, you know, before I started, I just I threw myself into it, obviously. And I was down in Adelaide with my mom and my mom had to go to the doctors and the doc, mom's like, because mom wants to tell everyone that I was a reporter, right? Which would annoy me. <laughs> like, I'm like, mom, you don't have to tell everyone. <laughs> oh, but she's, you know, she's like, you know, she's like my biggest fan, bless her consocks. But these doctors like, don't you ever get nervous? And I was like, yeah, actually, like I always get nervous. I am such a nervous wreck. And he goes, have you heard of a beta blocker? It's called the Hillary drug. And I was like, no, like this is mind-blowing. What is this? And he said, yeah, every time – oh, it's actually not Hillary, it's Clinton. It was every time Bill Clinton would give a speech as a president of the United States, he would have a beta blocker. <laughs> and he said it's also very common for pianists when they're going into, you know, like a really important exam that they have this beta blocker and it stops them from shaking. It just like slows your heart rate. I was like, ooh. I was like, did you want me to prescribe you some? And I was yes, like, yes, please. thank you, doctor. That would be amazing. <gasps> and uh, so he gave me this little little bottle and it had a few little red pills in it. And, you know, just having it in my pocket really helped. I took half a pill the first time just in case I like was knocked out unconscious for this first live cross. And then, you know, I think I had them there. I took them about like five crosses at the very start of my career, but they were always just there in a little plastic white bottle and just mentally it really got me through and helped me get over those nerves very early in my that career. That is so <laughs> wild. Like that blew my mind that people, because that's not what beta blockers are for, right? Like that is it just crazy. Wow. Yeah, it really it really helped me. Even like mentally, it might have, mm. you know, I don't know if it did anything, but psychologically, it was the security was blanket. Brilliant. Yeah, it was. It really was. And then once yeah. you did kind of, you know, get a little bit further into your career, were there any strategies or things that you did to help you manage the nerves before something that was going to be really like a particularly current thing happening that you knew were going to have a million eyes on you live? Like, you know, what were your strategies for thinking like, why me? Why am I here? Yeah. I used to just say in my head, you got this. Mm. Okay. You got this. You got this. You're fine. You've totally got it. And I would just stop for a second and just imagine me knocking it out of the park. And that oh. would always really help. Yeah. I just go, you've got this. It's like, it's, and I'd still have butterflies, mm. but I just tried to back myself. I tried to make my job as easy as possible. So I'd keep dot points in my head as opposed to like memorizing the whole script. Yeah. That would really help as well. And it's always funny, you know, because you think if you do stumble, that it's so much worse than what it actually is. And when you go back and watch your work, you're like, huh, wasn't so bad. <laughs> it's 
Only five. So, it might seem like if you pause, it might seem like forever and a day, but it really is just a split second mm. and no one even notices. And so I just had to sort of convince myself that, look, if you stuff up, it's all good. Just keep on going. Yeah. You're your own worst critic and no one else notices. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, I have to say as well, it's funny, we used to have a lot of interns come into the office and they'd always say to me, oh my gosh, you know, I'd, I'd bring them into the voice booth with me. I'd be like, come in, come in, you know, like, let's try and work on your voice together. And they would look at me and go, Christina, I'm never going to have a voice like yours. And I would bring up my old YouTube videos of me when I was literally like 18 at uni at behind the new, you know, BNN or whatever. And when I was at Channel 9 and I would play my voice to them and I sounded like a little chipmunk. <gasps> I sounded worse than what they sounded like. I kid you not. Like I was so bad. My voice was terrible. And they will look at me and they'd go, oh, there's hope. Wow. <laughs> I know. Oh, it's terrible. You know what? I'm going to give you a can little you ex- please? Like a little clip and then you can play it and people will be like, no way. <laughs> Next time you head off on holiday, you can expect to see a colourful and spacious new terminal. The airport is set to be Australia's largest purpose-built facility, specifically designed to cater to low-cost airlines. When building is completed next year, the terminal will be more than double its original size and will cater to the Gold Coast forecast visitor growth. Terminal Operations Manager Maurice Gary said there has been an increase in traffic flow at the airport. We had an 80% increase in international traffic in a short period of time, like over a couple of months. Most airports would never have been able to cope. Passengers can now fly through 35 check-in desks and enjoy a wide variety of restaurants, cafes and retail outlets. Communications coordinator Melissa Pearce explained the intentions for the new look. We wanted it to just have that laid-back beach lifestyle feel, which we feel we've achieved. Visitors are encouraged to sit back, relax and enjoy their scenic view of the spectacular hinterland. The Gold Coast Airport's $100 million redevelopment includes splashes of colour to keep the look timeless. Things have really taken off here and are set to be complete in March 2010. Christina Castales for BNN. It's great because it just reminds, and it reminded me like where we've all come from, mm. you know, everyone has that journey that they go through and anything's, everything's possible. Oh, absolutely. So before we do move to the thing that you did make possible after this whole chapter, <laughs> which is so amazing, but I'm ch- I know, <laughs> can you leave us with any, firstly, highlights, like your most proud achievements from that part of your career, but also any other sort of behind the scenes things that the average person wouldn't know about reporting. Like, for example, that people aren't born with a reporting voice, that you can train your voice or that, you know, you, I don't think people know that you don't just turn up, like you actually have to write your story. You don't just turn up, get a script and you're the mouthpiece, like reporters write stories. So yeah, some of the highlights and then some of the least expected things. Okay. Some of the highlights were definitely at the start of my career was really amazing when I got to go on a, like a helicopter and we landed in the middle of the sea on a ship and (gasps) we're firing off like live rounds and like there were F-18 Hornets flying around us. And that was pretty spectacular. I was like wide eyed and what? This is the coolest (laughs) job in the world. But I remember again, like we were on this ship 
for such a short period of time that I had this pressure to actually work. Yeah. You're like, I can't soak (laughs) in the experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was really cool. I got to go up with the roulettes. That was an amazing experience. For those who don't know the roulettes, that was with the Air Force when they do the aerobatic maneuvers. You (gasps) usually see them at the Formula One. Yeah. So I was in the back of the aircraft trying not to throw up. I was going to (laughs) say, were you like petrified being upside down and like, it was, yeah, it was like one of the most insane experiences. You know, you've got the oxygen mask on and like, if you're feeling unwell, just put it to a hundred percent oxygen. I'm like, all right, <laughs> just like pushing it forward. And the G suit is, you know, gripping onto your body. Like that's insane. That was crazy. And again, you know, like I came off that plane. I'm like, oh gosh, I have to write a script and get it filed by 4 p.m. today to make it on the news at five. And, you know, I'm (laughs) dealing with motion sickness, but that was wild. And the Royals, when Harry (gasps) and Meghan were in Melbourne, that was a beautiful experience. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, come on, he's like... (laughs) (laughs) The ultimate. He was cool. Yeah, he was the ultimate. He was fun. Wow. And what about like the unexpected things that we wouldn't know? Like are there any kind of tricks for like when you forget a word or like things that like I think also when you guys are on location, often like it's just you and a producer, right, or just you and a cameraman and people think there's like a million people but it's just you. Mm. Yeah, no, that's right. And, you know, budget's just getting slimmer and slimmer. So there's less people even in the office to help you. So you're literally left to your own devices. You know, I think one tip that I had for any, if there's any journalism students who are listening, was to write like dot points throughout the day on my phone. So then when it got to the point of writing my script and writing what was happening, it just made it a whole lot easier rather than going back and going all over the footage. That was really tough. Yeah. But, you know, (laughs) yeah, I guess you're right. We would have to get to work really early. We would be allocated a story. If there were no stories to be allocated to us, we'd have to pitch some stories and then we'd go out on our merry way. We'd do our own makeup. We'd obviously dress ourselves. We'd have to work on the story ourselves, whether that be on a court case that would run all day or if it would be at a house fire or a groundbreaking cancer treatment or a roulette experience. That was, wow. yeah. You know what was really, I have to divert. What was funny about the roulette experience is you had to weigh a certain amount and I'm really short. Like I'm actually <laughs> a bit of a short ass. And for me to weigh, I think it was 55 kilos at the time was, was a little bit over than what I was. And so I literally had to eat baked beans and toast and like ice cream for about three weeks straight to get to 55 kilos to be on that plane. So, you know, sometimes you have to put your body literally (laughs) on the line to report on a story. (laughs) I just put on two kilos in two weeks and uh, yeah. I love that that was for work. It's like, I've just got to eat lots of ice cream right now for my job. It's called research. (laughs) Look it up. (laughs) Exactly. You know, put my chicken fillets into my uh, bra just to get an extra 200 grams. (laughs) Ma'am, ma'am, why are there dumbbells in your bra? Um, (laughs) So it was funny, but yeah, like, you know, we had to do absolutely everything. It was wild, you know. And then when you see a polished story that runs for a minute and a half on the news, we had worked all day, you know, going out, getting those interviews, coming back, writing it up, 
getting the producer to cast their eyes over it, making sure it was okay. Then you'd go into the voice booth, voice your voice, and then you'd sit with an editor. If there was an editor available, they would then edit the story. If there wasn't, then I'd have to edit it myself. And then 5 p.m. comes around, you've got to put all your supers in, so all the graphics that come up on the screen. <gasps> but there you go. That's the 5 p.m. news whole day in a minute and a half of the life of a journalist. <laughs> I just really was blown away the first time I ever spoke to a journal and was like, yeah, so you turn up, they give you the story, they give you the script, you stand there, read it, and then you go home. And they're like, no, we do no, everything. No. I'm like, oh, my yeah. God, the responsibility. Like, what yeah. do you mean? <laughs> yeah, 100%. There was a huge amount of responsibility. Wow. And, you know, transitioning into that boat life when we purchased Akana, the anxiety that I had for like three months after quitting was – insane. I didn't even realize what I'd put my body through for so long. Wow. Okay. Okay. Mm. So amazing segue. (laughs) You obviously had hit this pinnacle in this career that was like we were mentioning just before we started recording that often you get to your dream and, you know, it feels like you've achieved your dreams for a time. And then there hits this point where it just, you know, your comfort zone catches up with you and and maybe you want to try something else. You're not meant to sort of find this one destination of yay. It's meant to be a journey that evolves. So what did lead to you deciding, you know what, this is amazing. I'm living my dream life, but I'm going to quit altogether and live on a boat. (laughs) Like, what do you mean? (laughs) It's the ultimate seizing of the yay. Let's just like quit our jobs and sail But also, context for everybody listening, they are not sailors. They did not own a boat (laughs) before this. It's not like we had a boat and we just went on it. It's like we bought a boat and we learnt how to sail it. What? Yeah. It's so wild when you say it because it's so stupid. Why did we do that for? It's so stupid and amazing stupid though. (laughs) So, like, what happened, dude? Like, what do you mean? Oh, well, there was this thing called COVID. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've heard of it. (laughs) Yeah. No, well, you know, it was so tough. So, you know, we skipped a massive chapter in John's life. He's a massive part of my life, being my partner. He's a pilot and he was stood down from work. And so that was pretty devastating. He was literally at home. Like the majority of us, he was on JobKeeper while I was still out reporting on we're in Melbourne, you and I, and mm. for everyone who lived in Melbourne, you how difficult it was for everyone outside of Melbourne. I can assume, you, you know, you can understand how hard it was for us as well. You know, that five kilometre radius, we're in the ring of steel <laughs> every day. I've got PTSD. <laughs> PTSD. Everyone knows, everyone knows, I have to go back into it, but essentially, you know, we just, we had always dreamed of sailing in Greece. That was always something that we had in the back of our mind. We didn't know when we were going to do it. We just thought maybe it would be a retirement plan, but the opportunity came up because we were obviously stuck and we were trying to work out a way to flee the country. But then we realized that in Greece, things weren't great either. Things overseas were pretty tough. People were still getting stuck in countries and weren't able to leave marinas. So we decided to buy in Australia. Again, yes, we had I had five days experience on a sailboat. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and John had also had five days on a sailboat. But the good thing about uh, like lockdown was John was able to do some like captain training, like just handwritten stuff with oh maps and what gosh. have you. Not 
physical experience because we're in lockdown. So by the time we're able to get a boat, we are like, okay, I'm just going to quit. I was like, John, I, I've gotten to the point in my career where if I have a break, if I have a career break, that's completely fine. Like I'll be able to come back into the industry now because I have enough experience. Mm. Previously, that wasn't the case. Mm. For John, he was stood down from his job. So he was able to take one year leave without pay. So we were like, yeah, let's buy a boat. So that's what <laughs> we did. We went out. We had no idea what we were looking for. We've never owned a boat. We were after a 40-foot boat, which is quite a large boat, but there was nothing available at all. No one was selling. The market was hot, as in prices were really expensive. So we ended up having, would you believe it or not, buying something that most people probably wouldn't buy, and that was to get a bigger boat. So we ended up buying a 50-foot boat, which is (laughs) – I'm like, how do you even know what foot boat you even need? Like, how do you even know that? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, we didn't. We didn't. We ended up buying this 50-foot boat, and I'll never forget the first time we – we're sitting in the front of the bow area where the main cabin was, like our bedroom. And John and I looked back towards the saloon galleyway into the back of the boat and we just looked at each other and we were like, how are we going to get this boat out of the marina? <laughs> we didn't know how it was going to be possible. We'd never done it before. So I rem- we just we were absolutely shitting ourselves, to be honest. It was Fair yeah, it was enough. I mean, mm. what? Like most people haven't been on a 50-foot boat let alone like bought one and then gone, yeah, cool, man. I'm going to learn how to sail it on the go. Well, the dream was to go to the Great Barrier Reef. So we had that in our minds and we had to get the boat up to scratch. There are a few things that we had to, had to do on it. So we ended up spending a couple of months in the marina working on her. And then, yeah, as soon as we could, as soon as we got this small little window of opportunity. To leave. Yeah, there, and there was literally this tiny little moment of opportunity where Victoria just got out of lockdown, right? And then was placed back into lockdown. (laughs) And then there was two massive lows, so really big weather events. And we managed to scrape out in between these two weather events and a little two-week opening of Melbourne's lockdown. It was so lucky. And we made our way all the way up through you know, the Bass Strait and up to Sydney. And, and that was a Ford. That was our very first experience of John and I sailing to Kana was out the Bass Strait up to Sydney. And that was a four day experience. We we're completely out of our depth, completely out of our depth. We had problems on the boat with autopilot malfunctions. Is this when John had to sit at the helm for 17 hours? Yes. What? Yeah. Okay. Also, what is the helm? Like, break it down for the us. Hel- oh, sorry. Sorry. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Give the us helm a boat is anatomy. the steering wheel. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, there are two steering wheels because, you know, sometimes your <laughs> sailboat heels to the left and sometimes it heels to the right. So, whichever way it's healing, you can use either steering wheel. Oh, I see. Like, okay. Boating 101, like, so you buy this boat, I'm assuming that you both used savings, like you had savings set aside to go on this adventure. You've ripped the Mm -hmm. Band-Aid, you're like, life's too short, let's go do this thing. And like, one of you has to get a boat license, right? And then like, they just let you on? Like, how do you, like, do you get a manual? Like, how do you figure out like, what's the galley and what's it like? I'm so blown away by all this. (laughs) 
Do you know what, Sarah? In Australia, you only need a boat license. What? That is it. Yeah. And then you just got on this 50-foot sailboat and just left. Yeah, we just left. We just went for it. And how do you learn how to drive it? Like, (laughs) and get through hard weather. Like, how do you do that? I don't know. <laughs> we just did it. Like, I mean, John, we're lucky that John had his navigational experience from flying, yes. which was like phenomenal. And I just made sure his belly was full for the first <laughs> few days. Yeah. And, you know, I stayed awake as well. I mean, like he was a great teacher. He really did help me. He has a mechanical mind and I don't mind getting my hands dirty. I really enjoy the entire experience. I don't want to say all women, but I never spoke about boating with my girlfriends. I never spoke about batteries with my girlfriends. I never spoke about (laughs) solar panels with my girlfriends. I never spoke about what tools you need to, I don't know, like pull a staunchion out of the base of, of the hull of the boat. I just, I didn't talk about these things. So this was a whole new vocabulary for me and for John. And it was an incredible experience, but It's not out of reach for people. And I have to say, that's the thing. Like my dad said to me, Christina, you're crazy. People who go on sailboats have been sailing their whole lives. Like, what are you doing? This is this is wild. And I was like, I know, but we've got to do it. Like it's just something different and crazy. And you know, when we got out there, we learned the ropes pretty quickly. And Every experience seemed so real at the time, like when, you know, the autopilot failed or when we got a line wrapped around the forced day in wild weather in the Bass Strait, like all those things when we were trying to dodge whales on our way to Sydney and I was freaking out, like literally, like there are some wild wild things that we experienced but you know there's a you you experience firsts with everything that you do whether it be if you get behind the wheel of a car you know or you are learning how to train your voice it doesn't happen straight away it takes years of experience and that's the same with boating and like if we let fear get in the way we'll miss out on so many incredible experiences and had we not taken that risk had we not purchased that boat and not ventured out into the Bass Strait with literally five days sailing experience we would have missed out on as I said to you like unlocking the keys to the world because that's what it feels like right now If you remember what it feels like for the first time getting your driver's license and the the fact that you were able to go out and venture out and go to the suburb over and go out with your girlfriends and, you know, experience the freedom that came with a driver's license. Mm. And then I think about that and I go, well, what is it like without having the ability to sail the world or experience locations without being on a boat? It's like a whole nother form of transport that I didn't know existed. It's mind-blowing, right? It's so cool. You can just like sail wherever. Yeah. It's a whole new mode of transport. It's like, okay, you go up in an aeroplane and you can, you know, fly to another country, get in your car and you can drive to the supermarket. But being able to be on a boat and sail somewhere is so rewarding, so beautiful And it really allows you to be in the moment, which is I had a lot of time to evaluate myself, my career, 
the anxiety I still had in the first three months of sailing, like I would wake up and I would still feel a sense of urgency. Mm. And I think that was because I was so conditioned for so many years being a reporter. I mean, that was my biggest question for you that is so relevant to this show and that's the fact that you don't relax immediately, that you do have to unwind and that then that only then do you start to realise that the metrics that you care about in measuring your life are different, you know, like how did your relationship with success and productivity change when suddenly you weren't producing or doing stuff like all day? Like you were doing stuff but it was different. I feel like leaving the prestige of the world that you were in to then jump wholeheartedly into a totally different world, it's difficult at the beginning because you're used to like delivering and getting promotions and climbing this ladder and then you go into this totally different world where none of that matters. How did that shift from like literally seizing the day to like seizing the yay kind of go for you? And it does take months, right? Like it doesn't, it's not straight away you wake up and you're like, this is my amazing, like living my dream. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like, cause that was my identity. I didn't realize that I had made reporting my identity. Mm. I had no idea. I just lived and breathed it every single day. And it wasn't until we got on that boat and I would wake up early and watch a sunrise that I realized <gasps> I hadn't seen a sunrise in so long. Like I had seen a sunrise if I'd had to get up for an early shift, but I hadn't seen a sunrise quite like the way that I experienced it. Yeah. Feeling the freedom that I did on a boat. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I remember actually listening to a podcast and it said to rate your stress levels at the time. And I remember I was laying in bed and I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like an eight. And I'm like, why do I feel like an eight? I literally didn't have an alarm to wake up to this morning. (gasps) I've got nowhere to be. I'm on a boat floating in the middle of you know, ocean, why do I feel such stress? And like, that was a massive turning point in my mind going, wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, it really was. And I wish if I could go back and, or if I could share with other people who feel like they're in that grind of work, Mm. just go out in nature and maybe if, you know, we don't all have access to a boat. Yeah, we don't all have to buy one and learn to sail from scratch. But No, we don't. And, you know, and, that, and that's the thing. Like you can do it in your own way. Yeah. But sometimes like pushing yourself to experience something new or learn a new skill is all you need to push past the fact that you don't just have to be you know, what your job title is. Totally. And I love that you've phrased it as like you'll have lots of different firsts in your life. I like that it's, Mm. you know, this was your version of a first, which is you guys have a risk appetite that's, you know, probably more robust than some people, but it's relative. Like we all have firsts, no matter what they look like, it's important to feel that feeling. It doesn't have to be perhaps as big or dramatic, but that in your life, you can push yourself to do anything for the first time just to get that sense of growth. A hundred percent. And I remember like so early in my career, I really wanted to succeed so quickly and I just wasn't ready. You know, even when I was 21, I wanted to be the best, but I just wasn't ready. And I remember, you know, my producer telling me, Christine, everything will happen in time, but I just wanted it. I wanted it all just then and now. (laughs) But, you know, I think a quote that really resonated with me recently as well, it said, you can have everything in life, but it doesn't have to be all at once. Yes. I love that one. Yeah. And that really 
make, you know, if I'm ever having a down day, I just go, you know what? It's all good. Like Mm. we're part of this massive journey. While I was reporting, I wasn't able to have the experience of being on the boat, but I'm experiencing it now. And I don't know what tomorrow will bring. And I don't know what, you know, my life will look like in five years, but maybe it will be an experience that I wasn't able to do in my twenties that I can do in my mid thirties. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So from the time you first got on the boat, what month and year was that? So it was April last year. Okay. Oh my gosh. So then how long did you sail? Like what were the sailing adventures from there? Where did you finish? Like how long did you think you were going for? Do you know what I mean? Did you have a plan? Yeah. So, well, we, our plan was to get out of Victoria. Okay. That was the main thing. Full stop. Yep. Great plan. <laughs> yeah. And then when we got to New South Wales, the plan was to get out of New South Wales because they too were about to go into like this epic lockdown. We almost got stuck in New South Wales. Like oh it was gosh. a matter of days. Yeah. And then that's it. We would have been stuck in New South Wales. So we got out of New South Wales, which is brilliant. And then we made it to Queensland. And so we went all the way up some beautiful islands like Lady Musgrave, <gasps> all the, like just absolutely stunning experience through the Whit Sundays, White Haven. Oh my gosh, heaven! Yeah, up to Cairns. We went all the way up to a place called Lizard Island. <gasps> yeah, I know. So that actually, so on YouTube, our current timeline is Cairns. So we haven't got to Lizard Island yet. So we're definitely. Saving the best for your audience. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's absolutely out of this world. Like we were we were got to snorkeling the most incredible reef you can imagine off of a place called Codhole, which is off of like Ribbon Reef 10, <gasps> the Great Barrier Reef. And it was absolutely spectacular. Yeah, it was beautiful. And then obviously that opportunity opened up so many doors that we were given that opportunity just recently to go sail in Greece. And that was absolutely mind-blowing with Navigare over there. So we we literally just came back from sailing in Greece, which in full circle, that was What you'd always wanted to do. That's what we always wanted to do. <gasps> so I actually have goosebumps. Oh, my gosh. Just what an adventure. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I think one of the big questions that will be on a lot of people's minds now is like, how did you financially make it work? Like, how did you, not knowing how long you'd be going for as well? Like, I think often people save up for, you know, a sabbatical, but they know it's six months or they know it's three months or, and they know when they're going back to work. Like, how did you manage the financial side of that? Because that's something I often talk about, seize the yay, but then I, I forget to cover like, nuts and bolts of how you do it. hundred percent. I'm so glad you asked this question because John and I saved from a really young age and I have to be honest with you. Like, obviously I op shop, so I don't waste my money on those sorts of things. Yeah. Like clothes, I'm all about not buying things, yeah. but buying experiences yeah. that has always been like really true to us. And I remember being in Darwin and I wanted to boost juice from the shopping center. And John's like, Christina, it's $7. And I was like, I know, but I want to. He's like, no, 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 no. Like $7 now is like $30 in like 10 years time. You don't need it. Wow. Oh my God. So true. So from that age, like from 20, John and I would like save yeah. hard because we knew how important that was compounding interest was. So even though I didn't do my business degree, (laughs) I learned one thing. (laughs) And so we would, you know, like we would still go out and enjoy ourselves, but we prioritized what we spent our money on. We still traveled really hard through 20, 21, 22. We traveled all through Asia 
on a budget, we would stay in backpackers and, and, you know, and like rough it a bit, but still have that experience. So we saved really hard. And then that's what allowed us to essentially be able to buy Takana because of the savings that we had. And also John also was able to invest in a few properties as well when we were up here in Brisbane. And I think that's another thing that goes back to your question as well about, sorry, I'm jumping around a bit here, but, you know, you mentioned what pushed you through, through those dark times. And, you know, we were in a financial position where we were investing in property. So I had to have a salary Mm. to be able to pay for, for our investments. So I was sort of in that position where I had to just suck it up because I knew that in the long run, it was for the best. Yeah. And I think it's a yeah. really good reminder as well that like everyone, like as we say, everyone's, yay, it looks different in terms of their career or their passion, but it also looks different in terms of your life priorities. Like some people really value experiences. Some people really value things mm. and the way you save and mm. allocate your funds, like it's different for everyone. So you are able Absolutely. to do this because you do value that more than you value something else and you've prioritized it for decades. You know, I think it's really interesting how... Sometimes people are like, well, how do you do that? And it's like, because I don't do all those other things. Like it's all a give and take of what you care about. Absolutely. And I it got to the point where, you know, if I saw a handbag that was worth four grand, I would go, well, after tax, that's like me working almost for a whole month. Is the handbag worth yeah. it? <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? It kind of isn't. It's not worth it. I'd rather spend that money on something else or retire earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas some people want the handbag and that brings them yay. It's like it's whatever is your yay. Exactly. It all works exactly. Out. I and you know what? The thing is, is like handbags can be investments these days. Those totally. things go up in value. <laughs> <laughs> you can also find some in an op shop. Like some yeah. people throw things yeah. out that they don't know the value of. So keep exactly. looking. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. A little side note to this question, Christina later emailed me to clarify that they afforded their boat through their savings, which she just explained, but didn't realise that I was actually asking about how they funded the rest of the trip while they were living on board. So if you were also wondering about that, Christina later explained that they had monetized their adventure through their AdSense YouTube revenue, the sponsorships on their YouTube episodes that they made while they were on board. And I found this fascinating. One ad pays almost the same amount as she was earning as a full-time journalist for a month. And of course, the freelance voiceover work that Christina was doing on board, as you can tell, she has an incredible voice for voiceovers. And yes, she would convert her room on the boat into a voice studio, which I have actually done not on a boat, but on our travels. In fact, the introduction to the last episode that you guys heard was recorded in a cupboard in the middle of an Italian hotel, which was wonderful. It echoed as well because it didn't have carpet. So I was covered in a tuna. It's very, very glamorous. Anyway, I just thought I'd add that little side note in. So then you have turned the journey into a YouTube channel. You're really big on TikTok. You've got Instagram, like you've been storytelling. And I love that your skill and talent from reporting in telling stories and conveying an experience to other people has shined through in in your YouTube and in Christina's travels. So was that something that you wanted to turn into now what you do? Like, or are you still not really putting that pressure on yourself? Like what is kind of the long-term plan now or are you not long-term planning? No, no, I um, did. I really wanted it to work for us. I did. I filmed the journey. Well, one, because we were locked away from our family. So I wanted to share that experience with them as well. Two, if something came from it, fantastic. 
it would give John and I the opportunity to have that, you know, ability to to do this and and experience the world. And that's the plan. Yeah, for sure. I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's just because of the storytelling aspect of my job that I just wanted to do it. I think even if I wasn't getting paid to do it, I'd still want to do it. Mm. I love documenting things, even silly things that John does at home. I film him. Yeah. It's a, it's like part <laughs> of your way of capturing life. Yeah. You know, for sure. And like, even on his birthdays and stuff, like I would capture him and I doing silly things for the year and then make a little video to show him on his birthday just to rekindle that spirit and, you know, remind ourselves of all the fun things that we had done throughout the year. I just have always enjoyed capturing our life experiences. And last night, actually, I went back and I haven't done this before, but I went back and started watching our videos from the start because I knew we were going to chat about this today. And I had a few like really teary moments because I was, yeah, I just felt so proud about what we did. And I feel like we've come such a long way now, but you know, when you look back and you think, wow, all those feels that I had leaving Melbourne for the very first time on the boat and the excitement and the adrenaline is just wild. But wow. looking back and feeling that again for the first time was pretty special. Oh and I'm glad, gosh. you know, I will, I hope like I would always have that. Even I <laughs> sometimes think about when I'm old and grey, like in a nursing home, like maybe I can go back and watch them and read it. I feel happy. It's a bit morbid. <laughs> it's a bit morbid. It oh. is, but it's not. Like I often th- think that the way to really impress upon people how important it is to find your yay now is that no one on their deathbed has ever wished they had less fun. Like no one has Mm. gotten to the end of their life and looked back and gone, oh, man, I wish I worked more. I wish I spent less time with the people I loved. And like I think everyone's wish at that stage in their life looking back is that they could impress upon young people to enjoy it while they have it. So it's kind of morbid but it, it also helps you reflect on now in a way a hundred percent a hundred percent and that's the thing like I had when yeah when I was like full-on in my career and that was the only thing I saw myself doing forever it's just wild to look back at that and think that I'm the same person yes it's complete (gasps) yeah oh unbelievable you just don't know what door you know, it can open up for you. You don't know what's waiting on the other side if you just take that leap. Because I honestly, I thought, oh, well, worst case scenario, we'll have a year off and I'll just go back to reporting. But, you know, this door has opened and I don't know how long it will last for. Look, I'll take it for as long as it, it runs until it runs its course. But at the moment, we're just, yeah, really embracing it and we're excited for the future. Oh, well, I'm going to include links to the channel in the show notes because I have so many other questions to ask you about the sailing experience, <laughs> but I know you've covered all of them in the actual and probably told them in a way more beautiful way with all the visuals of like where you actually are, what the boat looks like. <laughs> so I'll make sure to include those for everyone. Please go and watch them. It will be such an escape. If you can't buy a boat, just live vicariously through Christina and John. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It's awesome being a female and being able to do it because there are so many of our viewers that are like, like, oh, I'm trying to get my wife over the line. I'm trying to get my girlfriend over the line. Tell you what, it is 
an experience you will never forget. As long as you don't get seasick. Yeah, I would not recommend <laughs> that, be that a problem. for anyone. That would be horrific. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like put yourself out there. You might enjoy it. Amazing. Well, yeah. thank you so much for sharing. I like literally feel like I could pick your brain for another hour just on like maritime terms because I, I want to know more about <laughs> I did not know that. Like the hull was what it was and the helm is what it was, but I've learned like three new words today, so I feel really accomplished. But just to finish up, I always end by asking what your favourite quote is, and you've already shared one, so that can be it if you want, but do you have any quotes for the yay or that just capture your journey and what you'd love to impress upon other people? Okay, I have two. You don't know what you don't know. Absolutely. Love that. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is one, I don't know, it always like sticks in my mind, but it's, you know, cliche, shoot for the moon, but if you don't, you'll still be amongst the stars. But it's so true. I love it. I love it. Like you have to go for gold because if you don't, you will have regrets. And that is one thing that I didn't want to have. I didn't want to have any regrets. And that's the thing, you know, as I was, I remember celebrating 30 in lockdown and my mum said to me, oh, I was your age when I had you. And I was like, oh, dear, I need to start thinking about children. And I just wasn't there yet. I wasn't mentally prepared for that at all. And I didn't want to go into that next phase of potentially wanting a family and, yeah, just um, not being mentally prepared for that child in parenthood and and that journey in its entirety. So I was like, John, we have to do this for us. We have to go wild. Otherwise, I'm going to have serious regrets. (laughs) And so, yeah, I'm so glad we did. And we, yeah, we definitely, we aimed for the moon there. And you uh, you landed on the moon, so amazing work, gal. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, you know, somewhere out in the galaxy we are just floating away. Oh, well, I can't wait to see what you do next. And thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Oh, the visuals of this adventure are even more fascinating than the audio. So make sure you go and watch Christina's epic videos on YouTube and TikTok. What a fascinating journey. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and tag at kcostalos, K-C-O-S-T-A-L-O-S, and us so we can repost and keep growing the neighborhood as far and wide as possible. We're back on the ground now and working through the jet lag. So we'll be back with some yays of our lives with Ange as well very soon. I hope you're having an amazing week and a seizing your yay.